1: your next stay. Find a stay for any you when you book direct at choicehotels.com, where travels come true. I'm Tracy from Stuff You Missed in History Class. Are you a small business owner or even someone who dreams of entrepreneurship? Then check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from iHeart Podcasts and Intuit QuickBooks. Join hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres as they interview entrepreneurs, sharing insights around starting and nurturing a small business. You won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. This episode of Stuff You Missed in History Class is brought to you by Get Your Guide. No matter where you are going on your next travels, Get Your Guide offers great ways to connect with your destination and make memories with locally vetted, expertly curated experiences. Things just as examples. You could go whitewater rafting in the Grand Canyon. You could take a tour of Pike Place Market in Seattle with a chef. There's a London Royal Parks and Palaces tour. All kinds of options wherever you are going. So discover and book your next unforgettable travel experience at GetYourGuide.com. Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class, a production of iHeartRadio. Happy Friday. I'm Tracy V. Wilson. And I'm Holly Fry. This week on the show, we talked about Helen Duncan. Yes, indeed. Which is somebody I had found uh, when intentionally trying to find some october seeming topics. And what I had written in my little list of topics was just something like, Helen Duncan, Witchcraft Act 1735. <laughs> like, in some way that, like, noted that she was, uh, based on what I had seen at that point, the last person tried under that. I would have imagined that it was a good hundred years earlier than the story we wound up talking about. Nope, nope not at all. Uh, I went down the weirdest rabbit hole the best kind um so almost across the board every single thing i read about helen duncan said with absolute authoritative confidence that germany didn't know that the barham had been sunk um uh, just 100 like just so clearly like and Germany didn't know and i was like that seems maybe a little unlikely because uh at at this point when a submarine fired torpedoes at a ship that like they might not know whether they had hit it or not it's it would like there's just a lot of noise associated with the uh, with the torpedoes, and so that like they would sort of try to be listening for the particular sounds that would come from like a collapsing bulkhead on the ship or something like that, and it, like it's not always clear, so wouldn't necessarily know for sure. But this explosion of this ship was so enormous and so dramatic, and so soon after the torpedoes happened, I was just like, it seems like they would have at least suspected that probably they hit something. And so I just was like, am I missing something here? It just seems really likely to me that the the crew on the submarine would have thought they, they would have, number one, known they fired at a convoy. Right. They would have probably at least thought that they hit something, and then they would have reported back in. So, like, this absolute 100% confidence that the Germans didn't know I was like, really? And so I went upstairs to uh, where my spouse was doing stuff on his computer. And I was like, how much do you know about World War II submarine warfare? And his face lit up. (laughs) And he was like, what are you researching? Is it a battle? I have books I can tell you about. And I was like, you got to slow your roll. I'm researching a medium but I have a question. And we talked through it, and like similarly, he was like, yeah, it seems like they must have at least suspected. And from what I can figure out, yes, Germany did suspect that like they had at least hit and seriously damaged a major vessel in this convoy. Maybe they did not know it had actually exploded and sunk. Uh, so I just found the confidence with which everybody that has written about this that I found was like, and the Germans didn't know. I think they knew a little bit more than they had an inkling. Yeah, uh, <laughs> some of this may have been just an attempt to justify not telling families for so long. And if there really were efforts to deceive them by sending fake holiday letters home, which I like, I found a source that said that, but then trying to like confirm that, I ran into just brick walls. So I don't actually know if that. For sure happened, which is why we qualified it so much in the episode, but like could definitely justify that a lot better if you were conclusively presenting it as absolute established fact that Germany had no idea this battleship had been sunk by one of its U-boats. Yeah, it's so tricky because I feel like this comes up, I mean, we talk about it in the context of most of our episodes, particularly that deal with anything supernatural. Like, there are so many instances where people, consciously or not, have a bias that they support in historical reporting, Mm -hmm. and that ends up making very murky water. Yeah, There were two things about her story that reminded me very much of other mediums we have talked about, I mean, there are obvious, like, through lines, but the one that jumped out at me first was um, her childhood of being allegedly intuitive in some sort yeah. of psychic way. And it reminded me of Madame Blavatsky, who had, like, mm-hmm. a whole backstory about how she saw spirits in her house and communicated with things. And I'm always like, I really wish this this is a good use for the time machine, right? Like Yeah could we go back and see what, in fact, was, like, a pretty benign, boring, normal-ish childhood mm-hmm. with none of this? Probably true for either of them. Yeah, and, I mean, one of the things that I, it reminds me a little bit of the episode that we just had on Johann George schreffer mm-hmm. where, we, like, we don't know for sure whether he really thought that he was getting some supernatural knowledge. I really don't know uh, whether Helen Duncan really thought that she could, talk to spirits and that you know it's clear that she was using puppets and and knitted undervests and like whatever to to make these manifestations. But like I don't know if that's something that she was doing as part of something that was a scheme from the beginning or if it was more like window dressing on a sincerely held belief about right. Right. I don't I don't really know. Right. That is uh something sh- that's very much in common with the Shrepfer story. The other thing, and it relates to those props and people working to disprove her, that reminded me of another episode was the, um. I thought about our episode on Charles Colchester, who, mm-hmm. to jog anyone's memories, was the, the alleged medium that was favored by Mary Todd Lincoln, and how at one point, someone who was worried about the Lincolns and about Mrs. Lincoln, being involved in this, had, like, reached out and grabbed a hold of somebody's hand during a seance that he obviously should not have, and that Mm. causing an uproar. And I was like, there's always this moment. Right. (laughs) There's always this moment where just one person goes, no, you're not, and, like, manages Mm -hmm. to physically touch something that is obvious proof. And as we talked about, that doesn't matter to people who really want to believe it. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah. So yeah, I uh I enjoyed reading a lot of old a lot of old laws, the text of them. Uh I found the idea of being declared rogue and vagabond kind of delightful. And yeah. Yeah, just in general. Uh I I did not however read all of the hundreds and hundreds of pages of trial transcript because I I thought those were going to be fun they were not <laughs> they were not fun uh cuz sometimes reading that kind of stuff can be a little a little kooky and fun and this was just person after person talking about uh s- stuff that was it wound up being incredibly dry more dry than you would maybe think uh about people being questioned about spirit manifestations that a medium had done um so I I read all the introductory material of the trial transcripts and then kind of skimmed the transcripts themselves. They are very long. You didn't want to hear somebody fervently recounting how they talked to their
0: aunt. (laughs) (laughs) Tired of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabay.
1: One of our episodes this week was on Edward May and his medical treatise that he wrote about when he thought he found a serpent or monster inside someone's heart during an autopsy way back (laughs) in the 17th century. I'm just going to start blaming my heart monster for every time I'm less than an ideal person. That seems fine. My heart Uh, monster is acting up again. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So this was a tricky one to get resources for. It was something that had been on my list for about a year because I had stumbled across the treatise itself and thought, wow, what a weird kind of creepy story. I don't know if there's a whole episode there, but I'll, like, put it on the October list as something sort of uh, October-y in subject matter. Um, And then... finding any resources beyond the text itself was a little bit of a challenge. And so some of the information that's in here is like footnotes from other sources that are not about this at all, but that like mention May in some way or mention this heart idea in some way or uh, make reference to the Museum Minerva Um, most of the information that I found about that was in footnotes about people who were involved with it in some way. Um, and there were only a couple of papers that had been written about it in more modern years. And one of them I had access to and the other one I did not. So I did what I do sometimes. And I sent a little note to my spouse who's a librarian just to say, hey, is this a paper that you have access to? Uh, we have a, a clean show. So I can't replicate exactly what he said, but I heard the exclamations start upstairs in the room where he (laughs) works. And then he came down the steps and was like, is this Halloween? What kind of horrifying situation is this? But like with a lot of profanities inserted around the words that I said, um, he doesn't, uh, necessarily, like read whatever I ask him if he has as- access to. But in this particular one, he did, and he was like, "I wish I had not looked at this picture of the of the heart with a snake in it." And I was like, "I did <laughs> I did not expect you to find it as troubling as you clearly have." I love it. Yeah. Um. I want a museum Minerva T-shirt. Yeah. Yeah, like a uh, um as though it's our the school we attended. <laughs> that seems great. Yeah. Yeah. Um as a total random coincidence, I made a trip to Philadelphia back before COVID ever happened, which is how long ago this was. And I went to the Mutter Museum. And by total coincidence, they happened to have an exhibition going at that time called Imperfecta, which was about this whole idea of quote monsters mm-hmm. in the medieval and early modern period, um, and how people were thinking about embryology and teratology that we would think of as fields today, and like all of the religious and supernatural and superstitious layers of meaning uh that people put on these kinds of um, like, disabilities and congenital issues and all of this kind of stuff. And I, at the time, was like, I wonder if there is some kind of episode in this. And I did not find an episode in it at that time. But I now, years later, it has circled back around <laughs> through this episode on Edward May's medical treatise uh, and whether somebody had a serpent and his heart. I love it. I like that the um, the drawing, which apparently horrified poor Patrick, is one of the closest illustrations of a heart where you actually kind of see the connection to how the quick and, and simple way that we would normally draw a heart, like on a valentine, uh, it looks the closest to that of most I've seen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the heart as it's drawn with the snake in it, doesn't really have a suggestion that there are also atria in the heart. Right. <laughs> it looks like the heart is just made up of ventricles and a snake. Yes. It's a, you know, it's a cutie pie. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what's wrong with Patrick. <laughs> I, uh, I really like the idea that um, garlic killed the snake and thus is good for your heart. Yeah. I mean, there are lots of suggestions that eating garlic is good for your body in a variety of ways, but I like that it may have started with the concept of, like, it'll kill your heartworms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, My first encounter with the doctrine of signatures, which we talked about in this episode, was I think, I'm pretty sure during massage school, because we had a one-day lesson in, like, herbal Medicine, mm-hmm. and it kept coming up, and I kept thinking, "Okay, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. I I don't know if this necessarily holds up,
0: <laughs> right?
1: Yeah. Um, because like the the obvi- the most to me visually evocative answer is the one that our example is the thing that we said in the show about like a walnut looks like a brain." I think it's ginseng root that looks kind of like a man or a person when you pull it out of the, uh, which sort of feeds into the idea that, like, ginseng root is good for the whole body. So anyway, I I was another thing that I was, like, not expecting that to come up in this particular treatise, but there it is, (laughs) combined with optics. (laughs) So, yeah. Uh, Eat garlic is the lesson. I eat garlic. I'm in favor of that. Me too. Uh, I have I have some friends who cannot eat garlic anymore because of some like dietary issues and restrictions. Um just the garlic is not good for their bodies and it's, that is very sad. It, it's very it, yeah, I I do not know anyone who has had to cut garlic out of their diets and is happy about it. No. No. Uh, Well, I mean, I'm sure I know there are people out there who don't like garlic. Mm -hmm. I love it. I don't know. I don't I don't know what to do with that. I mean, I'm like that person that, you know, triples the recipe at every opportunity. So Mm -hmm. I don't don't know what to tell those people, but uh, it will prevent your heartworm. (laughs) 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 Yeah, I went down a little rabbit hole of trying to figure out exactly when people figured out what about heartworm and a very longer rabbit hole to try to figure out, like, okay, is there heartworm in the UK? And at first I found very, like, some contradictory stuff about that because there were people who were conclusively like, there is no heartworm in the UK. And animals in the UK that develop heartworm contracted it somewhere else, right? And then came to the UK for whatever reason. But, like, there have been, in the last few decades reports of actual heartworm transmission in the UK. And that does seem to be tied to the climate, like how, whether the parasites can survive long enough in the mosquitoes to infect anything. Right. You know, that's one of those things that when we uh, started having pets, we suddenly had to think about a lot. Mm -hmm. Although our cats never, ever go out. Right, right. So we don't tend to do heartworm preventative with them because, like, my understanding is that it doesn't, transmit to cats very often to begin with, and normally, like, a mosquito would have had to have bitten an infected dog, and then a cat. Our our cats aren't around dogs, and they don't ever go out. So... Yeah. <laughs> they just live their spoiled, spoiled lives on our laps. <laughs> <laughs> that is what our cats do also. It's the best. Um, And, yeah, I remember... I guess it was when I was living in North Carolina and I got cats of my own that I was responsible for caring for for the first time. And I I did start out doing heartworm prevention with them. But then got into the same thing of like, what is the risk of heartworm versus the risk of this medication? Is, Is it actually necessary for the cats? Yeah. And now living in Massachusetts, like the prevalence of heartworm here is in general less because of climate differences but again then that's also shifting because of because of climate becoming warmer yeah I remember having a long discussion about it with my veterinarian uh, and her initial reaction and this is some years ago was like well you know in case an animal gets out but then as we progress through having cats and she realized that I'm Essentially, the equivalent of a helicopter mom to my cat. Mm. She was like, "Oh, that's not going to happen. You don't really need to be doing that." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Kitties and puppies, but not yeah. humans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, we would all be on heartworm prevention. Yeah, and I will say, I'm not. I'm not offering advice about what to do with your own pets about heartworm prevention. Discuss that with your vet, because I am not one. Uh, nor, nor am I a heart surgeon. What? I thought you were doing that as like a correspondence side course. course. (laughs) So anyway, I'm glad I got to spend a little time reading a weird old medical treatise for this show. Because I I, I do enjoy doing that and hearing, reading the things that are very confidently wrong in this case. (laughs) Many confidently wrong things. So again, it's Friday. Happy Friday, everyone. We hope whatever's happening on your weekend is great. If you are not off this weekend, if it's not your weekend, I hope your work or whatever else is going on in your life is going okay. We will be back with a classic episode tomorrow and then something brand new on Monday.
2: watch what you want when you want immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4k picture and sound for every budget with sizes for every room find your perfect phillips roku tv today online or at your local walmart and sam's club
0: hi i'm antonia blythe and this is 20 questions on deadline joining me today is allison Bree.